If we're honest, we prefer some people and things over others. The comparison game is out there, and we play whether we know or not. In this episode of Groundwork, we're going to see this comparison problem creep up in the church at Corinth and see how Paul deals with it and what this means for us when we find ourselves in similar situations. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Scott, we talked about in the previous episode about how God sees wisdom differently than the world. He also sees power and weakness, and that's encouraging to me personally for a variety of reasons. Exactly. And one of the things we said, Daryl, in this First Corinthians series is that Paul is responding, we were very sure, he's responding to a letter he got from the Corinthian church with a very long list of questions and controversies. And so we dealt with right uh, some of the initial ones uh, in the first program in chapters one and two, particularly where Paul points out that right God's wisdom looks like foolishness to the world, but it saves us. The gospel message seems backwards. You would think it couldn't possibly work. But it does, right? And that fits us, as we said. But now in this program, Daryl, as you were already uh, kind of previewed in the opener, there was a kind of a comparison game, some sort of team or almost partisan spirit going on in Corinth. And that's what we want to look at now. Scott, I've been a, a basketball fan for quite some time. I was an NBA fan. I still am. And when I was a kid in, in the 80s and 90s, it was all about the Detroit Pistons in this area. So it was either you're an Isaiah Thomas fan or you're a Michael Jordan and the Bulls fan. And those two never got along. There's never anything that they could agree on. And so what I see in this passage, and we're going to get into the scripture here, but I see people saying, Team Apollos, Team Paul, and they're trying to divide the church based on personalities and people. And Paul is saying, no, we're we're weak vessels. We have a weak message, but God gets the glory, and you need to make sure that you understand appropriately how you're to view us as your leaders. Exactly. And again, we don't have and never have uh, in the history of the church, we don't have the letter Paul got from the Corinthians. I wish we did. Yeah. So we just have to kind of guess or intuit what they asked. Sometimes it was very obvious. And in this case, it's a little less obvious, but I think you're right. They were, uh, you know, your, your Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan example is right. They must have said something to Paul like, Hey, who, whose church is this anyway? I mean, who, who do we follow? <laughs> who is I mean, the head honcho? Yeah, because a lot of us think that, Paul, you're the, you're our guy. And then some of us think your associate, Apollos, is our guy. So which is it? Uh, whose church is this? Paul's or Apollos's? Uh, clear this up for us so that we know what team we should be on. And Paul basically says, you're asking the wrong question. Well, let me look at this scripture. Let's read that, and then we'll talk about where that context comes from. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What after all is Apollos? What's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So there it is. 
you're paying too much attention to the human leaders, Paul's saying, and that's taking your eye off of God. Yes, Scott. So basically, you make sure that you don't put the messenger on a pedestal because mm. it really is about the message. It doesn't matter who brings the message. If it's Paul, if it's Apollos, if it's one of you. So there's a saying that, you know, you're not indispensable in God's kingdom. God could literally use the chair you're sitting in to evangelize and save the world, but he chooses to use broken vessels like yourself. And so the message is more important than the messenger. Exactly. We might read this and say, well, boy, that was kind of silly of the Corinthians. You know, I mean, team Paul, team Apollos. I mean, obviously it's about God. But if we think about it, the personality of the preacher the way a church identifies with its preacher, we still do this today. I mean, we, st- I mean, most, yeah, many, many, um, not all, but many, many of the mega churches that are out there are very much built on the personality and the prestige and the fame of the preacher. And, you know, I go to this person's church and they don't say Jesus church. They don't say, I go to God's church. I go to Reverend Smith's church, right. you know, oh, famous Reverend Smith. We still do this today. And the bad news is uh, it concerns me when there's a transition or a generational Mm. or a a succession, because if it's a personality driven, it would definitely fall flat because Mm. that personality isn't there to keep it going anymore. And we do this with recording artists. We do this with celebrities. We do this with even preachers, like you said, Scott. And the bad news is we forget that God gave them the ability to do these Mm. things. So when my kids uh, come home with good grades and they're so they're puffing their chest out they're like, Dad, look, we got good grades. And they're ready to show me. They're not ready to show me when they're C's or D's. They're ready to show <laughs> me when they're A's. And so I say, yes, that's good. Now, who made you smart? So they never remember. Oh, yes, it's God that gave us the ability to learn, to retain knowledge. So the credit needs to go back to God for these abilities instead of personalities that these people think are originated in themselves. And Paul has a nice, uh, we're going to see in the next segment, uh, Paul's going to talk about foundations and buildings. uh, And he does mention that here, but mostly he's got a a horticultural, a a gardening image here about planting seeds, watering seeds. Sure, Paul planted the seed. He said, I founded the congregation in Corinth. I got you going. Apollos kept you going, so he watered the seed. But we're just here when the wheel goes around. God gives the growth, right? God gave you the brain, as you say to your kids, Daryl, right? Uh, God gives the growth. It's God's church. It's not Paul's church. It's not Apollos. Church, it's not Scott's church, it's not Daryl's church, it's God's church. And Paul knows that if we take our eye off of that, then probably all kinds of uh, uh, bad things could result. I think Paul is trying to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing, mm. because it really is about the God who is giving the increase. The who plants and who waters are interchangeable things, interchangeable people. Right. You could plant, Scott, I could water. So the point is that God is the one that makes growth happen, spiritually speaking, and we need to make sure that we keep God central to the message. And that's just part of We did a series on discipleship and growth in discipleship on groundwork, and we talked about spiritual milk versus spiritual meat, which right, comes up right. in this passage as well. And Paul is basically saying, you know, if you still are thinking that, you know, you have to figure out whether you follow Paul or Apollos, you're worldly. You're little kids. You're little infants yet. You're still just sucking on milk. It's time to move on to the meat of the gospel, which is to remember it's all God. The main thing is the main thing. As you said, it's all God. It's all Jesus. Don't get distracted by servants like Apollos and me. Scott, that's so good. And in the next minute, we're going to dig deeper into the chapter to talk about the body and how that is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. 
If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And in this first segment, Scott, we talked about how Paul is actually trying to get rid of this team Apollos, team Paul mentality and help them understand that God is the one who is the main character in this whole gospel message and the method in which it gets done. And so we just were noted too that he used a gardening image uh, in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, initially for planting a seed and watering it. But now he's going to move on here in this third chapter being at verse 10, and he's going to give a little bit of a different image where he writes, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Man, Scott, there's so much good stuff in here. I really wish we had time to unpack it all, but I just want to give a couple of things that I saw that stuck out to me. The first thing is that it has been the grace of God that has been given to Paul and Apollos to even bring the message at all. So they're not relying on their accolades. They're not relying on their strength. They're relying on the fact that God is the employer that called these co-laborers into the work of sharing the good news. Exactly. And it's all about laying a good foundation, although Paul says we actually don't lay the foundation. The foundation's already laid. It's Christ. And that's what we build on. If you build on anything else, you know, you can kind of think of Jesus' parable about building on the rock versus building on the sand, right, from the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. Paul is saying here, basically, the foundation is Christ. Foundations are key for any building, and that's the one you have to build on because nothing else is going to work. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Exactly. When I was a kid, I still remember this. It's one of my favorite cartoons. I think it might have been a New Yorker cartoon, but I was at the uh, township offices in Ada, Michigan, where I grew up. On the door of the building inspector, there was a little cartoon, and it was the construction site of the Tower of Pisa. Now, we now know that today is the leaning tower of Pisa, but this is the construction site, and it's standing up straight. And in the cartoon, the construction foreman is whispering to the architect, and he said, I saved a little on the foundations, but don't worry, nobody will ever know. (laughs) And it's leaning. Now it's leaning, right? The foundations are everything. If Christ is that foundation, then God himself is the blueprint 
drawer. He's been drawing blueprints of how to get his gospel message to everyone since the beginning of creation. And he is the one that orchestrates the encounters that people have. He is the one that gave Paul and Apollos the message that they have. And that is actually key when it comes to understanding how we have the opportunity to be brought into this message as well. Exactly. And just another thing on the importance of foundations, Daryl. I mean, after the terrible terrorist attacks on 9-11 in New York City that brought down the World Trade Center, the Twin Towers, uh, and now, of course, there's a memorial on that site and a museum. And if you've been to that museum, then you know you go down a very, very, very long escalator. And what you're doing is you're going down into the foundation of those Twin Towers. And what you see is that there was just tons and tons and tons underneath those tall buildings to make them stand way down into the the bedrock of Manhattan Island with tiebacks holding back the, the river. And if you don't get the foundation right, nothing else is going to be right, uh, which is why I don't build things because they, <laughs> they fall down because I'm, I'm no good at it. But Jesus Christ is that all-important foundation. And that's our second point, Scott, that he is the foundation. And Paul is actually warning them not to add any other thing mm. or lay any other message down than the one that talks about Christ being crucified. And so when I was a chemistry class, actually in high school, we had this experiment. I would love when they would mix these chemicals together. And hydrochloric acid was one of those. It's very dangerous to the touch, but mm. he would dilute it so that we wouldn't hurt ourselves. The bad news about when you add another foundation to what Paul is speaking, you're diluting the gospel in a very harmful way. And Paul is saying that message needs to remain pure. That message needs to stay primary. Exactly. But then finally, in this part of chapter three of 1 Corinthians, Daryl, Paul moves this building metaphor toward the temple rather strikingly, uh, and he'll bring this up a little bit later in this uh, letter uh, when he talks about sexual morality and why we should be sexually pure. But he basically says to the Corinthians, oh, by the way, this building I'm talking about, it's you. You're the temple. To me, that's the punchline of this whole thing, because there's a whole motif of scripture that talks about God's presence being in and among the people. Mm -hmm. You can name the tabernacle. You can name the tent of meeting. You can name the temples that were built. You can name the Ark of the Covenant. You could even name Jesus walking around on earth. But in this age after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is using human vessels as his temple. And the fact that they are sacred because they are God's temple is something I don't think they really paid attention to, Scott. No, I mean, and it is quite something to wrap your mind around, even to this day, right? I think you're right. This is the climax sort of here. We did a series on groundwork uh, some while ago on biblical images for the church, and temple was a key one. And yeah, you, you can trace that temple theme throughout the entire Bible. Uh, scholars think that in Genesis 1, uh, what we really are seeing is God constructing a temple in, right. in the creation where he could live with Adam and Eve and live with humanity. Then, of course, that all got busted up by sin. But, you know, so then, right, you, you trace it all the way, all the way to the end uh, of the book of Revelation where we're told that in the new the new creation there won't be a temple because, once again, the whole creation will be the temple because Jesus will dwell with us. And now Paul is saying, on the way to that, you, each of you, but also all of you collectively are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which connects you straight to Jesus. I don't know if many people do this, Scott, but you might want to look in the mirror and say, God says I'm sacred because mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit dwells within me. And because he put a precious gift inside of me, that means that I'm valuable to him. 
that could actually make my day if I think about that. Mm-hmm. Like, because I can get caught up in the rat race of all the things that I think I need to do and all the performance things. But if I remember I belong to God, that would be powerful. Yeah. And you're right, Daryl. This is something, I mean, in fact, we'll see later in the series that Paul likes to say to the Corinthians, but he does it in some of his other letters too, do you not know? Do you not know who you are, right? I mean, that Paul is always calling people back to baptism, always calling people, his favorite two-word phrase is in Christ. You dwell in Christ. He uses it all over the place. And he basically says, you know what? You just need to be reminded of that every day. Look in that mirror and say, I dwell in Christ. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's pretty amazing. But practically speaking, we want to talk a little bit about this in our lives today, and we'll do that as we close out the program in just a moment. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And this is the second program of a seven-part series on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And Daryl, so far we've uh, seen how Paul wants the focus to always be on God and on Christ. It's God's church. It's Jesus' church. It's not Paul's church. It's not the minister's church today. It's God's church. We build on the foundation of Christ, and if we do that, all will be well. And in fact, we just saw what ends up happening is that we ourselves, individually, but also collectively as the church, the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, we're living, breathing, walking temples. And it's interesting that Paul brings up the fact that God is the master builder in those temples, and he's using the gospel message laid on the true foundation that is Jesus Christ to get that point across. And so now we're going to turn our attention to the conclusion of this chapter where Paul makes it clear that these comparisons don't value God or the people that God sent to do this work and how that connection needs to be explained in greater detail by Paul. This is from 1 Corinthians 3. If you listen to the first program in this series, you know a little of this comes up in chapters 1 and 2 as well. But Paul says, beginning at verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Scott, Paul's making the point that the world's wisdom is actually foolishness in God's sight. And if you hold on to and grab on to whatever the world considers to be powerful, to be wise, to be effective and powerful— then that actually is wrong. And you don't need that when it comes to this. And that's part of the immature and milk drinking baby thinking that Mm. actually needs to be brought into maturity. Exactly. I I like his line there in verse 18 that you ought to become fools so you can become wise, right? In other words, fools in the world's sight. Uh, but that makes you wise in God's sight. Wisdom, of course, is a pretty uh, important theme in the scriptures. Uh, In chapter one, Paul calls Jesus, the wisdom of God. 
uh, we think of the book of Proverbs and the whole wisdom tradition, we often think of Jesus as the Word of God because of John 1, the Word made flesh. But Jesus is also the wisdom of God, which means he doesn't look like much by worldly standards. Uh, He didn't look like much when he was here. He was he was less impressive than John the Baptist. People were way more taken with John the Baptist. Uh, in fact, late into the first century, the apostles were still bumping into people who thought John the Baptist was the Messiah, and they were baptizing people in John's name, not Jesus' name, because Jesus just didn't wasn't much to look at. But he is, Paul says, the wisdom of God. Actually, another point that comes up in this passage is the fact that it's actually not appropriate to put the people who bring the message up on a pedestal and act like they are the superstars in this whole thing. And Paul is actually throwing that away and letting them know that it really is about the God who sent us to give the message and not just us as messengers. Please don't worship us. Please don't exalt us. Exalt Christ because he's the one that actually did the work. And we're reporting to you what the message really is. So if you need to get away from that, because that's actually a world's tactic. If I'm doing all the cooking and cleaning in the kitchen, so to speak, that means I'm the superstar. But that's the world's thinking, and we need to throw that away. And we mentioned this earlier in this program, Daryl, that um, we do have that human tendency to latch on to the person, whether it's the basketball player or the celebrity or the politician. Uh, we latch on to the person and start investing our hope in them, and we do it in the church uh, as well. We all like to be recognized. We all like to get you know some attaboys or sure. attagirls. We, we like the good comments at the church door. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you are a pastor uh, like Paul was or like Apollos was, or he mentioned Cephas in that passage, which is where that's Peter. You're front and center, right? You're the one on the pulpit. You're the one with the microphone. You're the one who gets to talk to them for 25, 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning in the sermon. And it's easy for you to think, well, obviously, I'm the most important part of that. I mean, the people, you know, the volunteers, the women who bake the pies for funeral service, you know, funeral luncheons, <laughs> they're nice and all, but they're not me, right? So that's very beguiling and tempting for leaders. Well, power and and authority is always going to be intoxicating to us as long as we have an ego and we have red blood in our veins. Mm. I'd say that this passage actually hits me between the eyes because it reminds me not to think of myself any higher than I ought to, that I am actually not the main event. I'm actually just opening for the main event, which would happen to be Jesus Christ and God himself. So we're actually reporting the work that God has done. And if I remember that, it will bring me into humility. And it brings me back to that example I gave you earlier. God has shown me that I'm not irreplaceable in his kingdom. The only MVP is Jesus, but he chooses by his grace to allow me to be a part of those plans and allow us all to be a part of those plans. And that's encouraging because we really are disqualified from that whole thing if it isn't for his grace. Exactly. Well, and this is in 2 Corinthians. This is a series on 1 Corinthians, but uh, I think you used this image earlier in the program, Daryl, that image from 2 Corinthians of earthen vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this in jars of clay, uh, in broken vessels, whatever you want to call it. Jesus took a tremendous risk after he ascended into heaven by entrusting the keys of the kingdom to the disciples who had proven themselves over and over to be pretty faulty folks, uh, frail human vessels, but somebody has to do that work. But the main thing is to go back to the basics, to go back to Christ crucified again and again, to go back to God's wisdom, which is foolishness to the world. If we do that, then we're going to keep our eyes in the church where they need to be. 
And you said it, Scott, to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is Christ crucified, Jesus Christ being the power and the wisdom of God. If that can remain a central part of the message, all these other things that we think we need will be able to fall to the wayside. And that actually brings us great confidence in the God who called Paul and Apollos, who has no respecter of persons and does no favoritism. He can actually call us to share the good news with our friend, our co-worker, our, uh, on Facebook or wherever our social media we have the opportunity to share that same good news. And to God be the glory. Thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we dig deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians and look at the issues Paul addresses in chapters 5 and 6. Be sure not to miss the next episode of Groundwork. Connect with us on our website, groundworkonline.com, where you can tell us what Groundwork means to you or even make suggestions for future programs. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information and to find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney and Scott Jose. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 